Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. We've just a week to go now before we're live on stage with the new show, Cocaine Cowboys. Final tickets on sale from mcd.ie, our venues. With the passage of time, would they now be willing to speak about what they know about? It was always said or rumoured that Eamon Dunn actually drove the getaway car. The fear that he would have held over some people, maybe that has passed and maybe going back to them could be productive. This isn't people necessarily who were there on the day, may have been aware of planning, logistics, cars, movements of guns, anything like that. I'm Nicola Talent, and you're listening to Crime World a podcast about criminals, drugs and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. A gangster named in court as being involved in the murder of gang boss Martin Marlowe Highland and innocent plumber Anthony Campbell is set for release from prison more than a decade after being jailed. So who is John Mangan and how is he linked to the 2006 murder of 20-year-old Campbell, a totally innocent young man caught up in a deadly underworld takeover. Today, I'm talking with Niall Donald about Mangan and the murder that shocked Ireland, but one which remains unsolved. This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. You know, this can be up to 20 odd gangland murders a year, gun murders surrounding organised crime, but some of them do stand out and usually it's when there's an innocent victim caught up in it. Every time there's a shooting, you'll have politicians and police coming out and saying that, you know, it was a miracle that nobody else was killed, even an attempted shooting. Uh, You know, there's been incidents where people have been shot while wheeling babies in buggies, um, when there's been drive-bys in highly populated areas, outside creches. most recently, there was a shooting in a restaurant on Christmas Eve in Blanchardstown. But I think in 2007, when the gang boss Martin Marlowe Highland was killed, it was the murder of that young apprentice, Anthony Campbell, that really struck a chord on a, on a you know, in an, on a national basis. And there was politicians stood on the, the dole. There was, you know, the kind of the usual um demands for crackdowns on organised crime. And at the heart of it was this young, innocent, 
trainee plumber, Anthony Campbell, whose mother, Christine, has spoken over the years about that loss. Um, He was killed because he was almost collateral. He was there in that house that day when a hit team went in to kill Highland. Highland was asleep in a bed upstairs. One of the gunmen held Campbell possibly you know, downstairs while the job was done on Highland. And then a decision, it's always believed, was made that he could have been a witness. So he had to die too. Yeah, I mean, it was really shocking uh, and it did have a huge impact because sometimes there's certain crimes that bring home the reality of of, of what is faced uh, and what is involved in gangland crime. There's always been a sense of, well, if people are killing each other, if gangsters are killing other gangsters, it doesn't spark that kind of, that same reaction. But I think everybody can relate to the idea of a very young man like Anthony Campbell doing an honest day's work, uh, being brought into a situation that he had no involvement with. Um, he was a young man, a decent guy. Everybody, nobody had a bad word to say about him before or after. And I think something like that brings it home, especially when the nature of the people involved. Marlowe Highland obviously uh, was the, the the real target that day. He was shot dead in his bed um, in, in the house that, that, that Anthony Campbell was working on. Marlowe Highland had become... Uh, in in that time, probably the most infamous gangland criminal in the city, um, he had been responsible for a number of of murders himself, or he was suspected of ordering them, um, and he was eventually taken out by his own friends, his own gang, and for a young man to be caught up in that kind of uh, uh, vicious and you know absolutely ruthless war, it really struck home. Um, obviously, his mother as well spoke out you know, publicly, which is very, very difficult to do. And she has continued to do so, uh, you know, despite the the obvious uh, fear that most people have in that circumstance. And I think her testimony uh, really made it very real to people who heard her speaking in, in, in the newspapers or on, on the radio or TV. So Highland was sort of loosely in charge of about 30 sort of criminals from the North Dublin area into Coolock, um, up to Dunchocklin, you know, Walkinstown, Ballyfermot. Um, he used another grouping called the Filthy 50, who were sort of young freelance hitmen, drivers, robbers, whatever. Uh, and he had grown huge and notorious and had become a top target of the Gardaí. They first set up an operation to crack down on gangland crime in general and then realising how big his network had become set up a separate operation to crack down on him. That had resulted in a huge amount of seizures a huge amount of paranoia building within his grouping. He himself had become sort of gone a bit off the, you know, off the scale because he was killing his own, believing them to be informers and touts. He, of course, had come to prominence and power because he took out his own boss in the years before that, PJ, the psycho judge, as he was known, who was the first big kind of, I think, you could probably say big, big sort of drug boss out that neck of the woods. And Highland had you know, taken him out and was subsequently taken out by Eamon the Don Dunn, who took over the leadership and control of the gang and who himself was taken out, killed uh, some years later, having sort of gone into this crazy, murderous, um, paranoid frenzy in the aftermath of taking on, you know, the the boss role. Yeah, I mean, Highland and Eamon Dunn, who followed him, uh, were 
clients of the Kinnahans, really. Um, they, the Kinnahans at this point were based outside of Ireland. Um, but that part of Finglas and their direct connection to these gangs made them, um, you know, very important clients. And we saw that um, Eamon de Dunn, before he was killed, he was at a boxing match hosted by the Kinnahans. He had his associates there in the crowd. They were guests of honour. Um, and so they were, they were, they had that direct supply. Um, they, Marlow Highland hit the big time at the same time the the drugs boom that we all talk about um, was happening around Ireland, both cocaine, ecstasy. Um, he also had an ambition to kind of go nationwide. So he would have forged ties with, say, the the Irwin clan in, in Sligo and other areas across up in, up in County Loud. Um, but yeah, the Eamon Dunn is believed to have ordered his execution and, um, you know, he then was executed himself uh, by the Kinnahans directly at that point, uh, because again they were he, he all the murders are bad for business. So two men were quickly identified by Gardy as being the killers, the hitmen who went to that house to take out Martin Marlowe Highland, but who also killed the innocent plumber Anthony Campbell. And one of them was on bail at the time and was subsequently named in a in in court as one of the hitmen. That guy is a guy called John Mangan, and. The reason we're talking about that and we're we're going back to those terrible murders, uh, in particular that of Anthony Campbell, is because John Mangan is finally coming up to his release date. Uh, He's been in prison since we reckon around 2007, 2008. He's serving sentences for both cannabis, is it? Yeah, he's serving. He was uh, caught in 2006 with £341,000 worth of cannabis. He was released on bail. Um, Marlowe Highland was then murdered at the end of, of, of that year. And then in 2008, John Mangan received a 14-year prison sentence for possession of a handgun. Um, he was ultimately named in court as uh, as one of the hitmen involved. He, however, he was never charged or prosecuted in relation to that and um, has never publicly accepted that. However, he has those very, very serious convictions. He went into prison um during his time in prison, he was, I would say, a not an ideal prisoner. He's a chaotic kind of a character, isn't he? He's a chaotic character. We heard loads of stories about him over the years, in particular, you know, approaching people who, who you know, the family of Marlow Highland or his loved ones in various ways and, you know, trying to speak to them about it and getting upset and all of this sort of weird, wild stuff. But I mean, he's an, he's a, you know, he was in prison at that point and he hit the headlines, I suppose, again in the Sunday world in, in 2022. I mean, he was due out, I think, in 2024 after a very, very long prison sentence. Um, he would have, he only had a, you know, a number of months to go. And you know yourself, as they come to the end of these prison sentences, they can even have a few other months knocked off them. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was... At that point, uh, like he he served, you know, fourteen years in prison, and yeah. he was on his way out. It's a crazy thing to do. They'll yeah. tell you, lock and house, and is, he, you yeah, know, very so he, exactly. He was in lock and house. Easy. You, know? you can cook for yourself. Yeah. You can kind of, you know, you can go out for a day. You can go for a walk. You can go down to yeah. the village and buy yourself a yeah. coffee. And anybody who does anything stupid in lock and house is just 
people cannot understand them. But of course he did. He went on the run and went he ended up run. back in the main prison system. He went back in the main prison. He was His cell was raided. There was allegations that he'd been using a phone because they're actually allowed mobile phones, aren't they? In Lock, in Lock and House, House yeah. Um, they're allowed a kind of a, a Nokia phone, isn't and it? And he was making, there was allegations that he was using that phone to make threats. Against somebody who he was wrongly uh, accused of owing him money or, you know, like a lot of these guys, they they have these imaginary debts in their head and they're, they're looking to collect them whether they're justified or not. So there was threats going against innocent people. He then went on the run um, was spotted uh, driving crazily and even though if he just kept his head down he probably would have been out in six months he got another uh, another I think it was an 18 month sentence um, during his time in prison in recent times he's become uh, paranoid apparently um, I mean he's an older man at this stage I don't know if you know his exact age there but he's he's no spring he's chicken in his late 50s he's in his late I think he's 58 um, but apparently he got paranoid in the last while, refusing to leave a cell at times. And yeah, it just shows you um, he's going to come out to a, a, a very different world than the world he went in on. At the time he went in, he would have been associated with Eamon Dunn, obviously. At that time, Eamon Dunn had this absolute uh, reign of terror, it would be fair to say. I mean, people were really, really afraid of him, including very serious criminals. Um, he Eamon Dunn in his time as, you know, in his short time as the head of that drugs gang ordered, I mean, it, it depends how you interpret these things, but it's something between 12 and 18 murders, um, including a range of people who were his friends, mm. uh, people like Graham McNally, who was shot there in January 2009. Uh, Eamon Dunn's closest personal friend shot dead for on some sort of paranoid Wim. outburst. Mm. Well, who knows, I suppose. And then he had a had a concerted campaign to eliminate North Dublin from his rivals, people like Paul Farmer Martin, shot dead in August 2008. Um, other people like John Daly, who was, you know, the famous famously phoned Liveline, he was taken out in a kind of a preemptive strike. Uh, John Paul Joyce, um, you know, whose body was dumped near Dublin Airport in January 2010. So these were really, really... Uh, you know, serious murders, mm. going after serious criminals. And he looked, he, at the time John Mangan went into prison, Eamon Dunn was absolutely untouchable or seemed to be. Um, but he's coming out to a different but world. But to concentrate now. the mind for a minute on the Marlow Highland and more importantly, the Anthony Campbell murder. Yeah. Um, because that murder has never been solved. Never been it's solved. An open, it's an open murder investigation. And Anthony Campbell's mother uh, Christine, who moved to England, I think some point in around 2010 or thereabouts, um, just probably not able to, you know, deal with the, all the memories here. And you'd never get over the murder of your 20 year old son no. in those circumstances, just never. But she like, you know, in the, in, in the last year, and it's all to do with the release of John Mangan and the fact that nobody has been ever convicted of her son's murder. She was writing to the Garda commissioner and she was looking for this, the murder case and the murder investigation into her son to be handed over to the, um, the Garda's serious crime review team or the cold case team. Yeah. Um, like, how can such a high-profile murder like that, you know, the suspects are identified very early on in it. Mm. I mean, you look back and you look at the, I mean, we're able to 
mm. talk amongst ourselves exactly who those early suspects were for yeah. that investigation. We know damn well, the Guardian know damn well yeah. who they were looking at. And yet there was not enough evidence to ever bring them to court. I mean, you would imagine that this is a case, in particular the murder of Anthony Campbell, that warrants the Garda Cole case team resources going in it. I don't know would there be a bit of controversy if there was a suggestion that somebody like Marlowe Highland or his ilk or, a, you know, a gangland, somebody who had Im- embedded themselves in the gangland scene, that their murder was taking precedent over over the others of innocence yeah. from the resources, the small enough resources of this Garda uh, serious crime review team. But surely Anthony Campbell's murder should be there and should be a priority. Yeah, absolutely. It should be. Um, there's, there's. I mean, we don't know what's in that file. I mean, the Guardian obviously will have investigated. It will have built up a file. All of that's confidential. Um, there's there, a lot of developments in DNA since two thousand. There is. There is. And I mean, you know, there would have had to have been trace evidence left in that house. Those killers went through that house in Scribbleston Lane. Was it? Yeah, it was. And uh, they went up the stairs, and you know. There was there was contact there. This there wasn't was. a drive by shooting with a burnt out car. No, this was killers who entered a home. So, you know, at the very least, you'd imagine that um, seventeen years later, there should be enough there. Um, and I'm I'm presuming that the original Garda investigation that the forensics went in there with a fine tooth comb around that property. Um, You'd imagine that there should be something there that could at the very least be retested at this stage. Absolutely. And then, of course, there's gone back to witnesses who at the time may have been too afraid or people that may have given information but weren't willing to make statements in with the passage of time and the demise of certain people. Would they now be willing to speak about what they know about, I suppose? I mean, that's always a... a what cold place uh, investigations do, isn't it? They go mm. back to people who may have known something, who may not have felt comfortable speaking at the time, who may now have a change of heart. Um, obviously, there was always, uh, it was always said or rumoured or whatever way you want to put it that Eamon Dunn actually drove the getaway car. You know, he's now dead. The fear that he would have held over some people maybe that has passed and maybe going back to them could be productive. This isn't people necessarily who were there in the day, but may have been aware of planning, logistics, cars, movements of guns, anything like that. Um, Because it was a big effort to kill him. I mean, he was at the time, Marlow Highland, at that time, so paranoid. He was moving from house to house. Uh, Only a very tight circle of people would have known where he was at any particular point in time. He was convinced he was going to get killed which he did. Um, but just, you know, on another note, I suppose, for the family of Anthony Campbell, while John Mangan has been named in court as the alleged hitman, he has denied, obviously, that. But nonetheless, uh, we know he was an original suspect as well in the case. So because he isn't charged in connection with anything to do with it or convicted with anything to do with it, Anthony Campbell's family have no access to the parole board to object to his being released. He is there serving a sentence and is going to be released for cannabis supply and for possession of a a gun. So there's no actual victim in either of those crimes. So there's no way a family has access to the parole board to object to him getting out. Um, You know, so it's kind of like it's, it's very difficult for them. It's very difficult. I mean, who did he even approach and on what level? Um, 
but you know, it's you have to admire them. Uh, I always admire people like Anthony Campbell's mother, who you know, it's not easy to speak out publicly and to continue to do so. Um, it takes a lot of courage, and it, it does have to be admired. I mean. The, it, it must to keep be. up the fight for justice after that long, 17 yeah. years, I yeah. mean, every year, I suppose, it, it will look, anybody who loses a child will always have to look at others growing up and getting older. And I'm sure at this point of his life, had Anthony survived, he would have been 37, possibly yeah. had his own family now. She's missed out not only on her son uh, becoming a, you know, a properly rounded adult, yeah. I suppose. But she's also probably missed out on the opportunity of grandkids and all the rest. I mean, there's a huge effect. Huge effect. And, you know, to, to keep speaking publicly must each time she does an interview must, you know, to an extent, make her relive it. But it is important that people, I believe, and, and you know, I, I think it comes at a personal cost, but it is important that, you know, people like her speak out and make the reality of it clear that this isn't just, uh, you know, it isn't just, you know, gangsters killing gangsters or something like that. There is terrible consequences for people on the on the sidelines. So Mangan is originally from Blanchardstown. There's no idea where he's going to go or what he's going to do when he gets out of prison. Um, no, I mean, he wouldn't be subject to, you know, obviously if somebody is serving a life sentence, they're subject to this kind of constant monitoring. They can be brought back in at any time. Um, they're, but, you know, somebody like like Mangan, when he finishes, he, he, he may have some sort of release conditions, but he's mm. generally done and a free man to do what he wants. Do what he wants. But we already know he's an erratic person. And yeah. you know, if he's been erratic through all those prison terms, it's unlikely to change. Yeah. Okay, Nal, thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com, produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. Research assistant is Claude Amini. If you like this show and love true crime, leave us a review. Or why not download the free sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe. Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary.